Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And he didn't just surround himself in our weaknesses just to feel our hunger and our faintness with no food, but he went on then to feed those 4,000 men with just seven loaves of bread and a few pieces of fish. And so he surrounds himself with our weakness so that he can also not just know how we feel, but so that he could also defeat our greatest enemy and accomplish our greatest deliverance. And this is in Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death are all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for that he himself has suffered being tempted. He's able to succor them also that are tempted. Our greatest enemy, the devil. We're no match for the devil. We are no match at all for the devil. We can't defeat him. Our greatest bondage, death. And not having our sins reconciled. In order for us as men to have our greatest enemy destroyed, death, we needed a man to destroy the devil. Just as Israel stood paralyzed before their greatest enemy, Goliath, they needed a David to be their hero and defeat Goliath. We needed a David, our hero, to defeat our enemy, our spiritual Goliath. Our David hero was the Lord Jesus Christ. He partook of the same flesh, the same blood as you and me, so that like David, our Lord Jesus could step out from among us as our fighter. And when David stepped out of the people of Israel to fight with Goliath, Goliath mocked David. And he said to him in 1 Samuel 17, 42 through 44, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, He disdained him. He's but a youth and ruddy, fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me. I'll give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And just as Goliath mocked David for his young appearance and weakness of a youth, So the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, they mocked him for his young age when they said to him in John 8, 57, then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? 
They mocked him for his birth by the Holy Spirit when they said in John 8, 41, we be not born of fornication, illegitimate. We have one father, even God. They mocked him for his family and his poverty in Mark 6, 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of David, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They mocked him for his hometown, John 1, 46. Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? He, they mocked him for the region he lived in, John seven fifty two. Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. But even though he was mocked, when he partook of flesh and blood and became like you and I, the Lord Jesus Christ stepped out from among us, our hero David, and destroyed our Goliath, the devil. And so it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, he also likewise himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that's the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, having been made a man just like you, just like me, so that he could step out from among us and destroy our greatest enemy. And then he uses his humanity to turn and offer his own blood to solve our greatest problem, being reconciled to God. It goes on. He verily he took on him the nature of angels. He took on the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. So he could be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So it was because of his humanity that he became a faithful and high priest because he suffered for us. And we all stand and we look at the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity and we say, hallelujah, what a high priest. We look at him and we say, hallelujah, what a high priest who became just like you, just like me, so that he could go through what we go through, able to have compassion, step out from among us, and be our David, and destroy our Goliath, and come as a man, as a man, in his, with his own spotless blood in his hands, and present his blood to God the Father as full payment for their sins, to reconcile us to God. He went through this. He did this for us. He went through three steps to become a man. He stepped into flesh and blood and was able to have compassion. As a man, he stepped out from among us to defeat the devil. And as a man, he stepped up to God to reconcile us to God by offering his own blood. He stepped into our flesh. He stepped out from among us to defeat our enemy. And he stepped up from us to reconcile us to God. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And when we see him as a man who suffered everything for you and for me that we suffer, when we see him as that kind of a high priest who went through every suffering that you and I have gone through, we have one response in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain, may obtain what Ruth was looking for, mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. That's our response. Our response is, 
bold coming to obtain what Ruth said she was out for that morning. Mercy, grace, we so desperately need. She's so desperately needed. We come boldly to obtain the grace because we so desperately need that grace in the nick of time. That's what it means literally to help in time of need. In the nick of time. In this chapter, we've seen Boaz as a priest unto God. We talked about that. When he went to his people, he said, the Lord bless you. They said, the Lord be with you. He said, the Lord bless you. That's a priest unto God. Today, we've seen the most important quality of a priest unto God is the ability to have compassion. And we've seen that what it takes for a priest unto God to get this ability to have compassion, compassed, surrounded, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. We see what it takes to be a priest unto God with the ability to have compassion when we read the word behooved, absolutely necessary, Hebrews 2.17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. We've seen what it takes to be a priest unto God with the ability to have compassion. It takes suffering. There's no greater calling for us than to be a priest unto God. And what if God was to say to you this morning, I want you to be a priest unto God. I don't want you to be just any priest unto God. I want you to be a priest unto God with the ability to have compassion. And are you up for it? What if God said that to you today? Are you up for it? Would you be willing to go through God's only training course to make you a priest unto God with the ability to have compassion? You know, God's training course is a course to make you weak. God's training course is a course to make you suffer. It's the only way to get this ability to have compassion. And, I mean, we have to go there to help people who are there. Before I had cancer, I would never have said to a cancer patient, I know what you're going through, because I don't. I didn't. But after I went through the shock of the diagnosis of cancer and the pain of the spine tumor and the destruction of the radiation and the misery of chemotherapy and the anxiety of every check to see if the cancer has returned, now I'm a member of the cancer club. Such a wonderful membership. But now I can say to a cancer patient, I know exactly what you're going through. And that was God's training course to make me a priest unto God with the ability to have compassion. And that suffering needed to happen. And that's why it says in 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, he'll make you complete, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So what is it with us? Do we resent God's training course that gives us the ability to have compassion? We resent being compassed about with the infirmity of a broken heart and a broken body and a broken mind and broken finances and being beat up and having clothes torn off you, a broken conscience. We've all known what it's like to stray far from God. Therefore, we can sympathize with those who feel they are sinners and need pardon. That's what makes us qualified to be a priest unto God for people who are guilty and dying from sin. We know what it's like to be crushed under the feeling of guilt. We know what it's like to tremble at the thought of dying and standing before God to answer for our sins. Therefore, we can sympathize with the lost around us who are guilty and dying and trembling. So what we've seen so far is how Boaz looks at Ruth, 
with the eyes of compassion, and it drives Boaz to personally go to Ruth. In verse 8, then said Boaz unto Ruth. And Boaz knew that when he decided to do that, when he decided to no longer get information about Ruth from his foreman, but go directly and speak personally to Ruth, that this had an impact on his reputation. And so when Boaz goes directly to Ruth to speak with her, he is openly admitting his relationship with her as related through her former husband. And by doing that, Boaz knew he would be known as the friend of outcasts. This would be Boaz's reputation. He knew that he would be the talk of the town. Oh, that Boaz, do you know what he did? That Boaz, he's a friend of Moabite outcasts. That Boaz, he receives those Moabite outcasts. He eats with them. He eats and drinks with Moabite outcasts. I had no idea. What kind of a man is Boaz? In that way, his reputation would be changed forever. And that reputation that Boaz got from what he did with Ruth is exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke, you know the group that was most attracted to him and wanted to hear, the mo- wanted to hear him the most? Sinners, corrupt tax collectors known as publicans. Then they said, they said, you know what? He's got a message for us. He's got a message that's relevant for us. We need to hear what he's saying. He's not like the scribes and Pharisees, you know, like walking through a lumber yard and kicking up sawdust. He said, it's not like that kind of experience. He's interesting. He's got something to help us. Let's go. And they were drawn to him. And it says in Luke 15, 1, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he was seen. He's receiving the sinners, the corrupt tax collectors. And the Lord Jesus Christ knew that he was seen. He knew that he was seen receiving the sinners and corrupt tax, just like Boaz. The Lord Jesus Christ knew that his reputation was going to be formed as the one who receives sinners in these corrupt tax collectors, as it says in the next verse of Luke 15, too. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just a sinner here and there. There was an avalanche of sinners that crowded in on him to hear him and to follow him. Like we saw, Luke 15, 1, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. So as soon as the Lord Jesus Christ was receiving sinners and he knew that their murmuring would start, he spoke about how he was being perceived. He knew how he was being perceived. He was very conscious of it. He says in Luke 7, 34, the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine member and a friend of publican and sinners. He knew the reputation. He felt it. They held it against him when he went into the house of Zacchaeus, a very notable corrupt tax collector. And everyone was watching. And they were watching him as he went into the house of Zacchaeus. And it says in Luke 19, 7, and when they saw it, they all murmured saying, he's gone to be a guest with a man that's a sinner. And finally, this got to be more than his enemies could stand. And so rather than go directly to the Lord Jesus with their question as to why he's eating with sinners and corrupt tax collectors, they went to his disciples and asked him, why was he doing that? And when the Lord Jesus heard, because he was listening, and he heard them ask the disciples why he ate with sinners, then he stepped in to give the answer. He didn't even wait for them. He stepped in in Matthew 9, 10 through 13. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him at the disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, 
Go ye and learn what that means. I'll have mercy, not sacrifice. I'm come to call. Not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, that verse, behold, it emphasizes. They put the question, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? He's listening carefully. He steps right in, and he gives an answer about himself, and he speaks about being sick and needing a doctor. And he said that those who don't see themselves as sick, they don't need a doctor. Call me Dr. Jesus, is what he's saying. But those that know they're sick, they need a doctor, and I'm Dr. Jesus. And so obviously he's referring to the sinners and corrupt tax collectors in need of a doctor who knew they were in need of a doctor, a spiritual doctor. But his implication was that the sinners that were flocking to him, they were coming because they knew they were sick. And the scribes and the Pharisees were not flocking to him because they did not see themselves as sick. And what a statement was that when he disclosed some people press into him through all the obstacles they press in and some are just nonchalant when it comes to coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. It all boils down to how do you see yourself? If a person sees himself as a sinner in desperate need of help, he'll press in to the Lord Jesus Christ. But if a person doesn't see himself as, I'm not so bad, certainly not in any desperate need of pardon and forgiveness and cleansing for a sin like that person, then he'll be casual. He'll be indifferent. He'll be cold over pressing into the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear that he was not casual. He was not indifferent. He was not cold over wanting sinners to come to him. He said in Matthew 9, 13, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says, I'm come to call them. He didn't say, I didn't come to wait for them, but I've come to call them. He made it clear that his goal was to give mercy. He spoke of his coming to earth as a call to sinners to repentance. And by making this statement, he wants everyone to know he's calling out to the sinners to repent. He's calling out. He's a picture of Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him, sup with him, and he, he with me. He says, behold, as if to say, you gotta see this. I want to have a clear reputation of the one standing at the door of the heart. I want to have a clear reputation of the one knocking at the door of the heart. I want to have a clear reputation of the one calling for any man to hear my voice. I want to have a clear reputation of the one asking for any man to open his heart. I want to have a clear reputation of the one who is promising to respond to the open heart by coming to him and having a close friendship together. And just as Boaz wanted everyone to see him speaking to Ruth, Boaz wanted to have a clear reputation as a person who reached out to the outcasts. Now we see what Boaz says to Ruth, verse 8. He says, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by maiden. So here we see Boaz fighting. He's fighting to keep Ruth in his field. He says, don't go to any other place. Don't go to another field. Stay here. He doesn't want Ruth to leave his field. See, Boaz, he not only speaks about her coming under the wings of the God of Israel, he spreads his wings out as well. And to take, he's, he's present where we have to take care of her, to fight to keep her under his care. He doesn't want her to go leave and search for help in any other field. 
And when Boaz tells Ruth to not leave his field, he's telling Ruth, you come to the right place for help and I'm going to help you and you need to stay here. And Boaz told Ruth, don't leave. And when he was telling that, he's saying, I want to help you. And that's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who fights to keep us. He says in John 6, 37, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And John 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life. They'll never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He's got a closed hand. And when Boaz tells Ruth not to leave his field, we can see the Lord Jesus Christ wanting us to come to him and look to him. As he said in Isaiah 55, one through three, ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no matter money, come ye, buy and drink. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Your labor for that which satisfies not. Hearken diligently unto me. Eat that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in badness. Incline your ear. Come unto me. Four times he says that. And here in your soul shall live. I'll make you an everlasting covenant with you. Sure mercies of David. John 7, 37, he continues on. In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Revelation 22, 7, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And just as Boaz told Ruth, don't leave my field, he's telling her to come in your need. So the Lord Jesus Christ, through all of this, is saying, come, 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 come in your need. He wants us to know what we're going to find when we come. Isaiah 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They that mount up, they'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and they won't be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, verse 31. So what have we seen today? We've seen how Ruth started out her day saying to Naomi in verse two, I'm going on an eye search. I'm going to go on an eye search today. I'm going to go look for those eyes of compassion. And when I find them, I'm going to find grace. I'm going to find mercy. Our world today is full of Ruths who are searching for someone with the eyes of compassion who will show them mercy. Lost sinners trembling at the thought of dying and standing condemned in their sins. Lost sinners who are looking for someone who will just be in their shoes, who've been in their shoes, and will, with the eyes of compassion, lead them to the Savior who will forgive them for their sins and cleanse them and give them a new life of friendship with God. See, we've seen Boaz, he has these eyes of compassion. And, and because he's got those eyes of compassion, and because he knew from personal experience, he knew what Ruth was going through. Now we consider the true meaning of Christmas. See, Christmas is the result of a decision made by the Lord Jesus Christ to empty himself of his reputation as God, come into our sin-cursed world of weakness, and yet without sin, he could go through all of that and gain eyes of compassion to help us. And then he helps us with compassion by suffering for our sins so we could have a payment for our sins. And he helps us with compassion by pouring out his pure blood for our sins so we can be forgiven and we can be cleansed from our sins. 
And he helps us with compassion by taking our trembling hand and saying, take my hand, I'll bring you to eternal safety, I'll bring you to eternal joy in my Father's house. That's what we worship the Lord Jesus for this morning because the price he paid to gain the eyes of compassion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for paying that price. Lord, what a high priest you are. Hallelujah, what a high priest. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah for a man that you became so that you could have eyes of compassion. We worship you now in Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Come meet Pam Tebow, Tim Tebow's mom, on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th at the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference presented by the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Pam Tebow will be speaking on homeschooling her five children, including Tim Tebow, and will worship with the musician and singer Michael Sanchez from The Voice and hear from special speakers Kevin Conover from Educate for Life, Pat Roy, formerly of Jonathan Park, and CEO Tom Cannon, president of the First Creation Museum and Friendship with God Bible radio teacher. Cost for the event is only $15 per day, and enjoy a Chick-fil-A lunch and fellowship with other homeschoolers. So invite your friends and register today for the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference with Pam Tebow at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.